Welcome to EJB Talks, Rutgers Blaustein School Experts in Policy, Planning, and Health, where we talk with our faculty and staff experts, as well as students, about how the fields of public policy, urban planning, public health, health administration, and public and urban informatics affect your lives. Welcome to EJB Talks. I'm Stuart Shapiro, the Interim Dean of the Blaustein School, and the purpose of this podcast is to highlight the work my colleagues and our alumni in the fields of policy planning and health are doing. We are spending this, our eighth season, speaking with our new faculty here at Blaustein. We hired 10 people last year in a wide array of fields, as the episodes in this season will show. Today, we're speaking with one of our new professors in our world-ranked urban planning program, Professor Andrea Restrepo-Meath. Um, welcome, Andrea. Thank you, Dean. I'm delighted to be here. Um, so I usually start with, you know, a very sort of particular, how'd you get interested in X? Um, but I was reading your work and I was like, oh, I want to ask about that. And oh, I want to ask about that. And so we might have a couple of those questions to start out. But let, let me start with, uh, how did you get started thinking about and working on water issues in the global south? Yeah, so I guess there's a, it's, um, it's, not an easy answer in that there's a few different moments. It's kind of like a play where you have different acts. Right. And the first act would be um, when I moved to Colombia as a child, and there was a drought going on. And Colombia is a country that relies heavily on hydropower. Mm. And so it was a combination of you know electricity shortages and water shortages and, and also just realizing the fact that not everyone had access to water the same way. And so I guess that was like the, what kind of put the, the seed in my, in my head. Um, and then I would say like the second act for this was when I was doing my master's. So I was interested, I was looking for some kind of policy issue that really interested me. And, and I found that water was one of them. And in taking a water, um, water policy course and an infrastructure policy course, I realized water was just fascinating. Uh-huh. You know, it has, it has the microeconomics of how do you set up tariffs? It has a lot of politics. Uh, and so how do you go about deciding who gets access to what? Uh, it obviously has a very important, you know, social implications, social justice implications, incredibly uh, important environmental questions behind it. And so I would say that was kind of like the second act. And I guess now it's this third act where I'm focusing a little bit more on climate change and water. And uh, yeah, I, I love it. There's a little bit of everything when you think about water and water issues. And if, you know, and, and my knowledge of it mostly comes from reading the papers, but it seems to me that this is an issue that uh, always important, as you've noted, from from, from your uh, childhood, but it's just going to grow and grow in our importance as climate change becomes more of a reality. You know, I read about the American West and that fascinates me and, and, the, and the water challenges that are going to come there. But I am sure that that's the case around the world. But this is just going to grow in importance and, uh, and the magnitude of, of thinking that we have to do about it. Absolutely. And, there, and there's so many elements to it. Right? I mean, we, we tend to think about water as surface water, right? But groundwater is increasingly becoming polluted. We're also running out. Not running out per se, but you know we start we're starting to have issues with our our water table throughout the world, and so yeah, it's increasingly becoming something that we have to pay more and more attention to. And you know, planners and policymakers are um, in a 
good position. You know, we have the right technical and social and political and economic tools to actually be at the forefront of trying to devise strategies to address it. Right. If we can get it done and if we can implement it, of course. And that brings me to my next question, which is you've you've thought a lot about sort of the role institutions play. And that's something that has always interested me in policy generally. But, uh, you know, in, in your world, how did that sort of spring from your research and, and this focus on institutions? So it was precisely by look from looking at, at these issues with, with water. And, and I mentioned before in Colombia, but the second part, that second act that I said when I was doing my master's, that was in Southeast Asia. Mm. And so I was looking at water in Singapore that has a very interesting water story. Um, I was working in Laos and Cambodia. And so, you know, it's a lot of different regimes. And so I started trying to look at, okay, what, what explains some places like Singapore or Medellin and Colombia having... Uh, different outcomes and different water stories than places like Laos. And I realized that, you know, I could have taken a lot of different routes, right? I could have Mm. done history and looked at the colonial history of these places. or, um, But I realized that given the kind of questions that I was interested in asking, institutions were a better avenue at trying to understand that. So, you know, what kind of codified um, rules do we have? You know, how are they being enforced? And and when you look at the global south, you realize that those matter, but it's the informal institutions or how the informal institutions come into play with those formal institutions that tell you and give you a little bit more richness and a little bit more of an ability to analyze and understand what's going on. And so it was basically just from looking at the environment and, and by environments, I mean like the social environment and, right. and what was happening and realizing, you know, Understanding how institutions come to be and come and change is something that might give me better leverage in order to see what I'm ultimately interested in, which is having these better outcomes, these more socially progressive and environmentally sustainable outcomes. So what works? Um, you know, what what characteristics of institutions um, are more likely to uh, position themselves to successfully address these issues? That, that's that's a good question. That's a million. And you're probably going to spend the next ten years thinking about exactly. it. Exactly. Uh, um, but I haven't already doing some thinking about it. Um, you know, it's it's going to sound. What I'm going to say first is going to sound like a cop out, um, but it is true. One element is that it's very context dependent. Mm-hmm. The second one is that even when we think about institutions and changing institutions, who is in leadership matters, right? Mm-hmm. Putting that aside, I do find that there are some elements within institutions or in trying to change institutions that are more conducive to having these more positive outcomes, right? So, for example, civil society. How involved is civil society? How, what kind of relations do bureaucrats and those that work in the state have with mm-hmm. citizenry, right? Mm-hmm. Um, are there abilities to exchange? Are there channels to exchange information to get information from the ground that might help you make better decisions. Um, what kind of national, local um, dynamic is there, right? Because you can have a lot of interesting work happening at the local level, but national governments still mandate a lot of actions, you know, either through legal frameworks or through funding, for example, right? Um, but I find that at the local level, networks matter. Um, how, you know, what kind of bureaucrats do you have? And that's why places like the Blaustein School, where we are training people um, with the right, you know, having the right mix of technical skills, of, of theoretical skills, of ability to go and 
think about the world and you know message all of that matters because your bureaucrats and your people working for government truly matter when it comes to enforcing institutions in a way that's more progressive or changing them from the inside um you know how we go about setting them up all the administrative structure of an institution matters how do we communicate it you know the, the ability to create these narratives and to you know what economists call nudging mm-hmm. um, but creating these narratives and, and being able to communicate to people what the objective is or why we're doing what we're doing all of that matters when it comes to changing institutions and and replicating them in a way that leads to more progressive outcomes it's it's fascinating to me to hear you talk about that because i i live in the regulatory world when i'm not deaning and 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 such <laughs> here in the united states and uh the regulatory world here in the u.s and I mean, all of those things you mentioned are relevant. I mean, political, you know, leaders do matter. People do matter. And uh, um, but also the Biden administration right now is thinking a lot about how does it uh, how does it democratize participation? Because participation tends to be by the elites. It tends to be by industry tends to dominate and, uh, and, and those with resources. And how do you do that? And that, that's not an easy question to answer and to set up a system where participation is truly democratic, um, but that bureaucrats, as you said, still get the information they need um, is is not an easy balance to strike. And how do you avoid burnout also from communities? As someone who has worked with communities and who has studied bureaucrats working with communities, and I say bureaucrat, by the way, in, in the best way of the word. I, right? I am with you on right? that. And, yep, and, I, and I mention that because sometimes people think of bureaucrats like, you know, our worst image of the person who That's is right. not the person with the job. DMV. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And it's yeah. so unfortunate because, you know, these are people who, uh, you know, are very talented. Most of them are very talented, are truly, I mean, they're in these jobs because they tr- truly believe in, in the power of the state to do better. And they want to actually, through the state, make positive change. Um, but it's, it's difficult, right? It's difficult both from the bureaucrat who's going there and who's trying to keep communities engaged, who might not be getting all the resources that he or she needs in order to deliver. And so communities start getting upset because, you know, we, we keep giving you information, telling you what's happening, but you're not implementing anything. We don't see, we don't see progress and years go by and, and things don't change. And so it's difficult for both parties. And, and I think that, again, it's, uh, you said it yourself, but it, it's not to, you know, cop out, but champions do matter leadership yeah. does matter and so it's it's really um it, it's interesting though when you have leadership changes and bureaucrats that are ready to seize the moment right and so that's one area that i'm that i'm always interested in studying is these transitions what happens during transitions because that's when bureaucrats can say you know this is a window of opportunity or this is a, a small, uh, you know, I have a chance to maybe do a little change here or try right. to bring this to the attention of the new leadership and see if we can make progress in what I've been working on for years. Very, very kinged in there. The window opens and the policy entrepreneur um, within the bureaucracy seizes the chance there. Um, I don't want to get too wonky, though. So um, <laughs> let, let me dial it, although the temptation is there. I know. Uh, uh, so you did mention, you know, our students and, and, and you did talk about sort of how, you know, 
bureaucrats matter and the people in these positions matter. So how do you find that your your findings in this research and uh, um, your, your, your general perspective on this affect, you know, you in the classroom and what you want our students to learn and to come out of their master's or doctoral or undergraduate um, training with as they possibly go into those kind of careers? So for me, and, and I think the answer will definitely change as, as years go on. At this moment, um, for me, what it really means is emphasizing for my students the importance of reflection. And so, you know, using different types of pedagogical tools, for example, to have students role play or do simulations or give them case studies, different scenarios where they can try to put themselves in a position and think, what would I do in this case? Or how would I go about um, approaching this? And then really bringing home the fact that when you are in your professional life, you really need to start or need to be thinking about what happened, why did it happen, right? What in uh, organizational theory has been called like double loop learning or triple loop learning. And again, also not to get too deep in the, in the <laughs> weeds here, but, but the idea of reflecting and using that reflection to ask not just how do I do things differently, but why did things happen the way they did and how can I change them to make, you know, change not just in the procedure, but broader change. Um, and so that's one element. The other element is really emphasizing for students the importance of thinking about our institutional setups, about thinking about the economic dynamics, the political dynamics, and how do you as a planner or as a policymaker um, insert yourself in there? How do you position yourself in order to try to find opportunities to, to change things? Right. And, you know, it, it, it's, as I talked to recent alums and, you know, we've, we've had some on here that are enormously successful in navigating these dynamics. Um, but, you know, I've also talked to some that are, you know, get frustrated and, you know, it's, uh, oh, it doesn't work the way, you know, I had hoped it worked. And it, I feel like it's part of our job to also prepare them for frustration um, and to let them know that, you know, that's part of part of the job. It's true, you know, if you get your MBA and go into a corporation, but it's particularly true if you're in the fields that we're in, that you have to learn to deal with frustration as well. Absolutely. And, you know, governments and states are slow moving animals. Right. And, and I think that, um, I think that the trick there is trying to remember that there is, I mean, if, if we think about our governments, the way they look today and how they looked maybe 100 years ago or 200 years ago, we do see that we have been moving in the direction, I would think, of mostly positive change, right? right. Um, and so, you know, that doesn't happen without people putting in the work, right? And so trying to remember that there are opportunities. Um, but again, it is frustrating. I mean, you can't, you just can't deny that. Yeah, no, um, and, and it's uh, you know it's hard to tell someone. Well, you know, over the hundred years, it's gonna it's gonna <laughs> move forward. Most of us don't have that kind of time. Exactly. Um, so that 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 and is. And it's a two step forward, one step back. And that's right. the other part that's very frustrating. Like you may see a lot of really interesting change happens. And then, yeah. you know, governments change, like people in power change or the economic conditions around sure. you change. And then it's one step back. And, and that, of course, that's frustrating. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, it's it's a challenge. And your career has to be timed such that if you do, that if you get in and you start with that one step back, you're you aren't deterred. You know, if you get in at that right. time when the one step back occurs, then you, you know to stick it out because the two steps forward hopefully are coming down, down the line. Exactly, better so, days will come. That's right. So, uh, so where do you see your work going from here? I think it's just a natural progression of what I've been doing, a little bit more of the same, slightly different. Um, so right now I'm working on two projects. Mm -hmm. One of them is looking, I have an interest, um, again, within water, affordability is one of the areas that interests me. And so I have a project that I've been working on looking at why do customer assistance programs emerge uh, at the subnational level? And so it makes sense, like in a place like the States, you know, we have a federal system. And so we do see that happen, right? But why does this happen in, in the global South? And so I'm studying the case of, of Colombia, where the national government did not pass a customer assistance program, uh, but the municipal government, many municipal governments did. And so I'm trying to understand why do some, um, you know, have it on the books and implement it? Why do some just have it on the books? And why do some that have the, the money and could be uh, implementing them, don't even uh, get started. So that's one research project. And the other one, and I'm really excited about this, not that I'm not excited about the Columbia one, but this is just something that, I'm, that I've been working on for a year and a half now, and I'm really excited to give it that extra push um, this summer, is looking at climate change adaptation in Galapagos. Mm -hmm. And so um, the Galapagos Islands in, um, in Ecuador are a place that looms large in our environmental imagination, right? Yeah. We think about Darwin and we think about the theory of evolution and conservation, um, but we don't think so much about that 3% of the land in Galapagos that is devoted to human settlement mm -hmm. and the people living there. And so I have been working um, in one of those um, islands in San Cristobal with the local government and with local communities looking at service provision, water sanitation, and uh, waste management in particular. And how do we think about the provision of those services now, but also how do we um, think about them in light of climate change, right? Of, right. of droughts or of periods of extreme rain. And so I'm, I'm really excited to also move that project forward. Are you going out there this summer? I am, yeah. Uh. Uh, all right. Well, well, color be jealous there. I'm going to be at the Delaware Shore, so <laughs> I will be very jealous of you. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. It's been a great discussion. Oh, Dean Shapiro, thank you for having me. Uh, also, a big thank you to uh, Amy Cobb and Karen Olson and uh, the rest of our production team here. We will see you next week with another talk from another expert at the Blaustein School. Until then, stay safe. <laughs>